and the way it was running just did not look like any human. Immediately, it felt like someone was watching. Something was watching. We seen some eyes which were glowing a bright red. Welcome everyone. You're listening to this Sasquatch show. Brought to you by Nicola Valley Bigfoot. Sit back and enjoy. Yeah, my uh, my first encounter was back in the uh, oh in the eighties sometime. Uh, I had just built my cabin, and uh, there was three of us up there. We were installing sheetrock and insulation, and the only thing we really had, because uh, this was in uh, September, and we were kind of getting ready for the hunting season. <clears throat> And I had a Mr. Heater going, and all we had was little cots and sleeping bags and that sort of thing. There was no um, treatments on the windows or anything. And somewhere around 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and it seems like every encounter I've had, or almost every one I've had, had something to do with that same timeline. Somewhere about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. They always seem to be very active. At any rate, uh, the three of us woke up and we noticed something looking through the window and it looked like it had a hoodie on. Uh, the only strange thing was that it had red glowing eyes, <clears throat> which was a little bit alarming. Nobody said anything. Nobody got up. Uh, my one friend just kind of pulled the sleeping bag back over his head. Uh, the other one just kind of sh- shut his eyes tight and uh, was hoping it didn't think it was looking at him. And myself, I was sitting there probably with my eyes the size of dinner plates and my mouth agape. And I'm just looking and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I, my mind was kind of racing at the time. I wasn't sure what it was looking at because nothing I know of has red glowing eyes. And then it slowly just kind of sunk into the uh, darkness and and sort of went away during the night. And the next morning, we all got up and I kind of started conversation. Oh, did anybody see anything last night? And then we all started talking about what we had seen and everybody seen basically the same thing. What appeared to be somebody wearing a hoodie was looking through the window. Uh, the only thing was it had red glowing eyes and nothing I know of has red glowing eyes. And so we all were debating about this because we'd never seen anything like that before. And it wasn't really until my second encounter that I knew what the first encounter was. At any rate, we had surmised and we tried to deny what we seen and basically had thought it was maybe a raccoon hunter. Uh, they had a hoodie on. And that what we thought was red glowing eyes was probably the reflection of the uh, Mr. Heater in the window and was reflecting off of the eyes. And that's that's the way we we kind of excused what what we thought we had seen or what we seen and was trying to excuse it. And it wasn't until my second encounter that uh, I knew what the first encounter was. Uh, in the 
second encounter, which was a few years later, <clears throat> it was just my brother-in-law and I up uh, hunting, bow hunting. And back at that time, uh, we could carry a firearm, and which I did. I had a, a 44 Magnum at the time. <clears throat> and anyways, we had gone out hunting in the morning and nothing eventful had happened. And it was just a bit typical morning hunt in, in early October. Uh, no, I think that was in November. No, it was in November. It was in November, early November. That's what it was. And my, um, my hunting partner, my brother-in-law, uh, in the evening, after our evening hunt, we came back in and he had shot a deer. And so we were changing clothing to uh, assume to get a, a very quick pickup on the deer and take it back to camp and take care of business. And we had changed clothes. And the only thing we did was we brought a uh, Coleman lantern, a knife, and uh, and some toilet paper to mark the uh, blood trail. Uh, I'm I'm colorblind, so I don't follow blood trails very well. So I'm usually the guy that marks the trail. Uh, at any rate, uh, we went back to the uh, to the tree where where he had uh, shot the deer, which is about uh, well maybe third of a mile from the from the cabin, something like that. And it was uh, on a typical trail, and we were talking about it until we got back to his tree stand. Well, we quickly found the the trail and started to follow it. Uh, we hadn't gotten very far, and then the blood trail just stopped. There was just nothing. And so we we marked the last spot, and we decided to start circling around to see if we could pick up the trail again. <clears throat> we had uh, started our second circle when we heard these tremendous bipedal footsteps. They were like uh, stamping the ground. The stamping was so intense, I could actually feel, or we could feel, the ground shaking from each one of the foot stomps. And it made three, three steps to the one direction. It paused for a second, and we had the Coleman lantern on uh, at the time. And we were just looking at each other going, what in the hell is that? And uh, <clears throat> and then it the other direction, back the opposite way. And my brother-in-law says, what the hell is that? And I says, I don't know. I, I, I thought I knew what it was at the time, but I was just kind of trying to pacify him. Because typically under these situations, I don't really uh, panic outwardly. Uh, usually I tend to panic inwardly after, after these things happen. So anyways, uh, it's, it stopped and then it made this, um, what I call infrasound low guttural vocal. That was, it, the blast was just unbelievably loud and the force behind it uh it almost seems like it blew my hair back that it was so loud and so um the volume and everything and the intensity was just in i, I don't know how to explain it you'd, you'd almost have to 
be there to experience it. Yeah. Uh, I call it infrasound because the, the vibrations coming off the vocal was so loud and so intense. You could feel your internal organs vibrating. It was that intense. And at that, after that vocal blast, my brother-in-law says, get the gun out, get the gun out. And I said, well, it's probably just some, some forest creature. And of course I knew I was lying to him, but I, I just said that to him. <clears throat> and then he grabbed the lantern out from my hands and put it on the top of his head and tipped, uh, tipped the lantern back. And that was when we saw him. <clears throat> he was, appeared to be all black, uh, about seven and a half feet tall. And from what I could see in the light, it seemed like I could only see like from about perhaps the waist up to the top of the head. And this was only a brief sighting, was maybe only a second, second and a half longest at, at the most. And then it stepped back into the dark, darkness. Uh, it appeared to be about seven and a half feet tall. It was probably uh, 42 inches wide at the shoulders. Uh, in other words, he would have probably had to turn sideways a bit to go through a 36-inch door. And he looked like the bodybuilder, um, very muscular, uh, uh, very ripped, you might say. Uh, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't tell how long the hair was, but I could see the definition on the muscle and so forth until it stepped back into the woods. And then that was the last that we had seen um, of the forest person. And then when I seen that, I knew what, what I was looking at the first time. Uh, I don't remember at, the, at this time, even after all these years, I can't recall if he was round-headed or not. It, it, it seems like he was. Um, I've seen a number of them over the years, and each one is, is very different from one another. They're, they're as different as you and I. <clears throat> some have rounded heads, some have uh, cone heads or kind of apple-headed um, uh, beings. So they're all different. Their the facial features are all very different. Uh, females look like females. Males look like males uh, For in general, at least in, in my area. Um, you can kind of tell by looking at, at one if you get the opportunity to see the face, <clears throat> which is which. Anyway, you see, look to be about 700 pounds would be my guess, five to 700 pounds uh, at a height of about seven and a half feet. That's very, a, very big muscular. That's a big boy. Well, he's now over nine feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to ask, though, it, um, did, did it take yeah. your deer? Like, did, did, did you ever find your deer or did it take your deer? No. Uh, th that was what we had surmised that it had found the deer before we did and was not giving it back on subsequent, uh, talks. I've, I, I can speak with the forest people. Now I have, uh, what I call three interpreters. These are people that, uh, get mind speak with my, what I call my clan. Um, and usually what happens is I'll be texting with my friends 
and uh, the forest people will jump in on the conversation and start talking. And they in turn text to me what is being said by the forest people. Anyways, going back to the story, uh, I had talked about the um, uh, them taking the deer. And as it turned out, the person, the forest person that had taken the deer ended up being my guardian. Um, a guardian is a forest person who wants to have a closer relationship with you, and um, they become a watcher over you. They study you. They learn kind of everything there is to learn about you. They they almost know you better than you know themselves. At any rate, he, he had told me at the time that uh, they took the deer and his answer to me was, we needed the deer more than you did. Uh, and that was his comment. He never really commented much after that. Um, and then to continue on with the back at the original story, uh, the experience gave me uh, PTSD for for quite a few years afterwards. I I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't hardly even talk about it. Um, I would go through the emotions and everything, and um, I would kind of relive the situation, and it would kind of break me down. Uh, in the subsequent years since then, uh, I had lost my hunting party. He had uh, he had died, so talking about uh, the experience plus him, I don't know if that's what actually broke me down or or whether it was just reliving the moment that did it. Uh, it. As it turned out, which again, turns into another story, uh, I had a friend, Bill, who was uh, mauled by a bear, and he was suffering PTSD from the bear mauling. And <clears throat> I was going through the same thing at the same time uh, uh, because of my experience with my guardian. And my, by the way, my guardian's name is Somi. His name is Somi. And I was talking with my uh, interpreters about the PTSD when Somi jumped into the conversation. And he said, tell your friend I, I can help him with his PTSD. And he told me to take a paper and pen and write down a method as to how to overcome PTSD. And Somi said, I suggest that you follow the same instructions from your PTSD caused by me. And what the method is, is to uh, wash your body off with uh, soap and water. And then as you finish your shower, to take and uh, turn the water colder and colder and colder until it's as cold as you can stand it. And then dry off. Uh, you can get dressed and, and so forth. He said, and then follow that up by cutting the hair on your head. Just, it doesn't have to be very much, just a trim. You can go to a barber shop if you like. Uh, you can do it yourself if you like, but it should be followed after the, the cold shower. And that includes the uh, all facial hair. 
to trim all your facial hair. Exactly what that does, I, I have no idea. Then he said, you follow that up. Uh, you can do it the same day or uh, on a following day. And he suggested it be done on a Saturday. Why Saturday? I don't know. And then he said, what you want to do after the uh, cold shower and the hair trimming to say a prayer to uh, the great creator or God, say a prayer and then include whatever it was that causes your PTSD. Uh, in my friend Bill's um, uh, case, he was to uh, say a prayer to the bear. And in my case, it was a, to say a prayer to Somi. And in that prayer, to forgive whoever or whatever causes your PTSD. And then he said, follow that up and write on a paper everything that you experienced during that encounter or whatever it was that caused your PTSD. Write it down on paper. Uh, write down every, every emotion that you had experienced. Write down anything that it had cost you. It may have cost you a you, perhaps a relationship, it may have cost you a job, it might have cost you um, friendships, it may have cost you any number of things, but to write it all down on paper and to forgive whoever or whatever had caused your PTSD. And then follow that up and go outside and start a small a sage fire with the white sage if you have the white sage. It's recommended to use the white sage, but it does, it can be just a regular small fire. And once you start the fire, you turn the paper that you had written and burn it in the fire. And Somi said that the fire would take the smoke to heaven as a prayer. And after that, your PTSD should go away. Now, you have to be very sincere about forgiving whoever or whatever it was to give that up. You cannot keep the emotion. You must give it up. And then you will not be uh, pestered by PTSD again. Wow. One thing turns into another, and one story leads to another, to another, to another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let me ask you something real quick before we, uh, and I want to learn how you got into this relationship with, with Somi. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Somi is the one that took the deer, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, yes, he was my second. Yeah. And how did you go from, from him taking your deer, basically, to, to developing a relationship um, on a telepathic level? I, I don't even know how to how to describe it, but would it be yeah, on a spiritual it's, level? It's or what we would call it's, it's telepathy or what a lot of people call mind speak. Now, how that relationship started was after I had uh, what they, what's known as bilateral knee surgery. That's where they, you have knee replacement surgery. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was uh, in my recovery period 
from the knee surgery. And, and I was going through, um, uh, uh, PT, you know, uh, for rehab. And, uh, it was kind of strange because once I had my knee surgery, uh, like the doctor was in there and he asked me if I could, uh, move my, my leg. And, uh, I was able to lift my leg up and, and bend it. And I was bending the other knee and the, the doctor's and the nurses that were there were uh, like in shock disbelief. And they said, uh, you shouldn't be able to do that. And I said, well, it, I'm not feeling any pain and, and it's, it's, I'm moving fine. <clears throat> and then they asked me if I could uh, uh, stand up and they had a walker in front of me. And then they had two assistants that were ready to help me to get up to the, uh, to the walker. And I was able to get up on my own with a with a little assistance from the walker because my legs were, you know, still swollen from the surgery and so forth. But I was able to move around and and again they said you shouldn't really be able to do that. <laughs> and so uh, I had gone through a lot of my PT and I was able to do things that they said I shouldn't be able to do. Okay, now going back to my meeting with Somi. Uh, as I was outside, I was shoveling snow, uh, and I think this was about five weeks afterwards, something like that. And we just happened to have a lot of snowfall at that time. It was probably 18 inches of snow on the ground, and I wanted to get a photograph of it. So I kind of stood near the end of my driveway, and I took a photograph. And in the photograph, it shows the front of my house and the storm door. Well, unbeknownst to me, it had a picture of my guardian Somi in the storm door. Now, I couldn't see him, but the camera picked him up. And a friend of uh, mine, she had uh, shown me the photograph and said, uh, this, this is a forest person. Uh, and this is kind of how he introduced himself to me. Two of my interpreters, Robin and Patrick, they were uh, looking at the photograph. And uh, they also said that this is a forest person. Well, Patrick was studying the, uh, the photograph. And he said that that was when Somi introduced himself to Patrick. And then he asked Patrick to introduce him to me. <clears throat> and so at that time, he was he kind of introduced himself to me as uh, and he was going to be my guardian. And he had said during that uh, texting conversation that he had sent two healers to the surgeon and the hospital to assist and guide the hands of the surgeon as he was doing my, my surgery. And um, then he said, uh, he said that he had helped guide the surgeon's hand and he was going to be my uh, guardian and watch over me in the time period as I was healing. And I said, well, why would you do that for me? I mean, what's that all about? 
why would you watch over me? And he said, uh, we have watched you for many years, uh, that we were attracted to you because you gave off a great light. And that previous year, uh, in hunting season, the year before my surgery, was when everything kind of changed, which answers your question, your original question, was how did we meet and how did this kind of come about? Well, when I was up there, I was thinking about the forest people. And what I did uh, when I got there, I kind of reintroduced myself and I said, I know you've been here for many years and I would like to have a closer relationship to you. I would like to get to know your culture. Uh, I would like to be able to speak with you. And perhaps one day we could walk down the one of the forest trails together. <clears throat> and once I reached out that al- olive branch, it, it seemed like that was when absolutely everything changed. Um, they started doing things. And like I say, the following year, was when they kind of reached back to me and Somi introduced himself to me nearly a year later and said he would be my guardian and he would watch over me uh, while I was healing and he would be uh, my guardian uh, basically for life if if that's what I wanted. He said, um, uh, oh, oh, I said, uh, well, why would you do that for me? And he said, it's because of your nature. And this is what the forest people do. They watch over certain people. And and I thanked him. And he said, well, I'm going to be here for quite a number of weeks. Is it all right if I bring my family here? Because I'm I'm in the city I'm I'm in uh, Michigan, and my property, my hunting property, is approximately 200 miles away. <clears throat> and the the funny thing with the um, telepathy or the mind speed is that the distance doesn't matter. It you could be thousands of miles away, and somehow they can connect to you. Uh, he told me he can hear my thoughts. Uh, he knows uh, he knows he knows my heart, so to speak, and he knows my mind. And he said he he listens for me to speak. And so then, when when I'm talking about uh, even to myself or to my wife or whatever <clears throat> about going up to the property. They they know I'm coming and they anticipate that, and um, it's it's been kind of an amazing thing that had happened from the time that I had offered that olive branch to have a better understanding of their culture, and you can say at the at that time I was speaking from from my heart um, that I meant it. And uh, the forest people can actually feel your emotions. They can see. Now, this is a big one. They can see through your eyes. I don't know how they do it, but they can see what you are looking at. They know. 
And then they can also read your mind. They can read your memories. They can read somewhat into your future and they can review your past. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, uh, the man called the sleeping prophet of the USA. His name was Edgar Casey. Oh yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. It rang a bell for a second. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Edgar Casey would connect into what he called the Akashic record, which would tell exactly the same thing that the forest people were telling me. And I've asked the uh, forest people how they know these things, and they always tend to skirt around the question. They don't they tend not to want to answer that for some reason. But uh, I put it together that they somehow can connect to this Akashic record, and they can see your past, and they can see so a certain amount of length into your future. And this all started after, you know, once once I was cleaning that snow and I captured his image in the uh, in the photograph. I didn't, I can't remember if I posted that or not. I'm not sure. Photograph. I know you've posted quite a few of your uh, drawings, but the, and those are really, really good, by the way. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if I remember seeing you post a photo. Okay. What I'll do is after we have our conversation, I'll, I'll post it to you. Oh, okay. And and what Somi told me at the time was he was there watching me, and they have a way of um, kind of blinking out of our visibility range. They can they can virtually make themselves sort of like the uh, predator them oh okay you, you uh, what they told me about it was they raised their vibration rate and then as they raised their vibration rate they they uh, disappear from our range of vision because we have a range of vision or a certain spectrum where we can see in certain light and then on either end of those of that spectrum we cannot see and what they do uh, by raising their vibration rate, they change that uh, visibility into an invisibility where you can no longer see them. Now, with that being said, the cameras can pick them up. And dogs and cats, certain animals, can still see them even though they're not within our range of vision. So anyways, the camera had caught him, and uh, I couldn't see him, but the camera caught him in the photograph. I want to get into the to um, talking about Somi, but now for the listeners, though, though, Tim has had quite a number of experiences with, uh, with, uh, with the Sasquatch. And I, I want to ask, is Somi responsible for, for all your encounters, or are they different ones that come at different times? Because I know with your third encounter that you had posted on he's, on one of the Facebook groups, um, he's been responsible for a number of them, but not all of them. Uh, I had um, I had several of them uh, come in uh, as healers to heal me, and I could see them. Uh, I've had uh, some. Uh, leave me gifts. Uh, I've had some um, 
and it's been more so in the last few years. They would do a uh, an, what I call an open show where they'll show themselves for like a brief period of time. And it's usually only like for a few seconds. Uh, if you didn't, if you never, never had experienced it with, before, you would probably question yourself what, whether you actually seen what you've seen or not. Uh, for instance, one night I was coming home from a friend's house and I was up at the uh, property hunting and I was coming up the curb in the drive, driveway when four of them walk right across the road in front of me. And as I was making the curve, the, the light shone up on them as they're crossing the road. And these were all big guys. They were probably eight, nine feet tall. They were huge. And they had long, uh, long hair, very long hair. Probably the longest hair I've seen on any of them yet. Most of them usually seem to have short hair. But anyways, they as they crossed the road, as they got to the other side, they just faded from view, couldn't see them anymore. They just disappeared. And each time I have these um, experiences, I'll take and um, uh, text my friends and ask them uh, questions about the different forest people and my different experiences. And each time I do, I always, uh, I always ask for the names. So I have uh I have like 25 names of uh, different forest people that I've collected over the year that um, I always ask for names. And uh, there was only one that refused to uh, to give me his name. And he was the one that uh, made the, the giant arch tree arches for me. Do you know why he didn't want to give you his name? No, I don't. The only thing he told me was... Um, you hairless ones are always trying to get my picture. And it seemed like he was a little bit miffed about it. And he was another one that I had caught. I had caught uh, by accident in a photograph. Uh, what happened that day was uh, my friend Jesse and I had um, were doing a, a drive around the property and it had just snowed. And again, it was about November 3rd, something like that. And it was the very first snow of the year. And I was just filling up my uh, my feeders, turkey feeders, and it came around the curve. And here was this gigantic tree arch. It was made from um, two trees. One was about six inches in diameter. The other one was like four and a half, maybe five inches in diameter. Uh, I believe the true trees were maybe 60 feet tall. And he drew this these two trees over in an arch. It formed a giant arch, and then he set this log on top of the tree to hold the tops of the trees down. Well, this log that he had was, uh, and he said he did it all by himself. I, I don't know how the hell he did that, but I mean, can you imagine the strength and the power it would take to bend over two trees, hold two trees in one hand, and then with the other hand, pick up a 12 inch diameter uh, oak tree that's about 20 feet long and place, place it on top of the other two trees to hold it in place. Yeah. Imagine that, the strength yeah. and power it takes. Well, when I took the photograph, the arch was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 feet tall. 
And when I first came around the, the corner and I, I opened the car door and I took the picture with this cell phone, you could see him in the picture, but you could only see like part of him. He was uh, translucent. You could see through him. And again, I had another person point. I didn't know I had caught it on camera. Another person pointed it out to me, drew a circle around it and said, there's your Sasquatch right there. And he said that he was the one that did it. Now you could see his image. You could see the uh, sort of like a profile. You could see his head, his shoulder, part of his chest. And then, it, and, and it was translucent. You could see through him in the photograph. And then as it went from the top part of the chest, as it went down, it faded totally out of view. You could not see it. So it's one of them photographs where you have to kind of study it. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. But it takes a while to look at it and, 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 uh, and see that. Now, that, that photograph I sent to you. Yeah, yeah. And I anyways, see, yeah, I've seen that one. Now, that guy looked like he was as tall as the tree arch, which would make him about 14 feet tall. Wow, that's a big so guy. he was gigantic. He was huge. I wanted to ask you, so, are, 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 are they getting very, is it because of your relationship that you have with Somi? Is that why the others are, are kind of uh, more comfortable to make themselves known to you? Is that, do you think that, that those two things are connected? Uh, it has something to do with it. Uh, exactly how that works, I don't know, because they have like a hierarchy or a very structured uh, family unit. Um, it's like you have to reach a certain rank before you can actually uh, like speak to a person or talk to them in some sort of a way. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it works. Um, and like with the um, teenager, it's like a rite of passage if you um, if you can walk up and touch a human, or it's like a rite of passage, and they have to get permission from the elders so that they can show themselves to you as an open show, so that you can see them for a second. It's it's like a very um, uh, it's like a rite of passage and an act of bravery to let a human see you because it's, it's part of their culture not to be seen by, by people. I never even, that never uh, even occurred I to do, me that, that kind of set off a light bulb in my head and it's like, okay, well that makes sense because they are desperately trying to stay away from us and avoid us whenever they possibly can, unless they're really, really curious and decide to let you see them. Right. Um, well, I found that people who um, are uh, uh, empath, empathic people, they have a tendency to be the ones who can communicate with the forest people the easiest. Um, my guardian told me a couple of years ago that soon he would be we would speak with one another uh, face to face. And he says in the, in that meeting, he said, don't be afraid. 
pieces, uh, but we will speak face to face. But until that happens, he said, use the interpreters. I said, oh, okay. Well, that was something like four years ago, and I'm, I'm still waiting. It still hasn't happened. So I'm still using what I call my interpreters. I, I originally had two, uh, Patrick and Robin, and then I had gained a third one, uh, and her name is Andrea. Uh, and I had met her about three years ago uh, at a, uh, she lived here in Michigan where, where I met. She was up in the Lansing area, and I'm down closer to uh, Detroit. And um, she couldn't do that originally. And then over time, my clan started to speak to her. And then she had a little girl, her name was Rudina, that was from her clan in her area, in the Lansing area. And she would speak to her all the time. And Andrea is an empath. And both Patrick and Robin are empaths. So they can speak to them. Um, they can actually call their name and, and speak to them that way. Or they can look at a photograph or a picture. Uh, and they can see you. Or let's say that you show them a photograph of the forest. Or what you thought was perhaps a forest person but wasn't sure. They can look at the photograph and connect to whoever that forest person was that you had captured in the photograph, and they can speak with them. And like I say, for myself, I I always ask for names. So uh, over the over the years, I've uh, I've collected their names. Um, I can give you that list of names. Uh, one is Marla Malin. Elman, Samuel, Wasika, Amos, Ashtook, Eldrin, Eaton, Ellis, Bugatti, Blossom, Ansem, Tyree, Mandela, Rizikiman, Redina, Epshaw, Keelan, and Melner, and then there's uh, there's Somi, <clears throat> and uh, those are the names that I've collected over the the last few years because I always write them down when when I speak to them. Wow! Because each one each one was had some sort of an individual or a group meeting for some reason. Uh, there was an encounter with each one of them over the years and each one has a certain certain story that goes with each one of them uh there was uh three of them that were sent here to uh watch over my wife while i was up hunting and that was uh ash took eaton and eldred they they were watching over my wife while <clears throat> while i was up hunting that's very fascinating like I'm not sure why they want to have meetings with humans, but you know, I, I was going to ask, like, what, what, what's your take on that? I had I had asked them uh, several questions in that that realm, and I had asked, is there something going around in the 
a forest people community where they want to make contact with people. And it seems like there's two camps, one that wants to stay with the uh, with the old camp, which is to stay out of sight, keep quiet, don't be seen. And then there's like like uh, the new age era where they want to make contact, but it's to with certain people. Uh, what they are looking for, because I asked the question, I said, well, what kind of people are you looking to speak with or who, who do you want to talk to? And they said, we speak, want to speak with people with open minds and open hearts. And I said, well, how do you make that contact or how, how do you make that judgment? I said, in fact, how did you make that judgment with me? I said, why did you choose me? And his answer back to me was, we didn't choose you, you chose us. But there are some instances where they will choose a person by watching them for a very long time. Uh, if they are attracted to you, like he, he said, they were attracted to me because I gave off a very strong light. So in other words, they, they can read our uh, auras. They can see whatever light we give off is in the way of an aura, <clears throat> and they can see that. And they said they were attracted to me, and they had been watching me for a very long time. Well, I had bought my property back in 79, and it wasn't until after like 2010 that they actually really started communicating with me when I reached out that olive branch and I said, I want to have a closer relationship with you i want to get to know your culture i want to get to know your people and that was when they reached back to me and that was when things changed very rapidly and they started doing things um and gifting me with things and so forth uh for instance like with the that huge tree arch uh i had told them uh that i really admired their their uh, tree structures and things that they had put on the land. And when, after I said that, boom, they saw, I started seeing more tree structures and things in the, <laughs> in the wood than I had ever seen before. And so I would uh, take pictures of these tree snaps. And, and what was amazing about it is they would always do it where I would never miss it. They would put a tree break or a tree snap on a, on a trail that I would go to. Uh, or would be following. Um, they will leave uh, little glyphs, tree structures, uh, where sometimes uh, they'll leave enough sticks around a, a tree that looks like a teepee. Uh, I found out what that meant. Uh, the the structures that look like a teepee uh, with sticks around another tree is that each time one of the forest people passes by, a new person they place a stick on that tree, which is kind of interesting. Oh yeah. Now I've had some other. Now I've had some other ones that were uh, in the form of a teepee, but they were using these gigantic, huge logs, these big trees, trees that would stack up against another tree. Uh, I didn't ask about that, but uh, a lot of them uh, would be like tree arches. Uh, a lot of times they would gift me with like stones. Uh, usually, usually they do uh, white stones, 
Uh, I asked about that, and uh, they said a white stone means friendship. Uh, I had um, uh, one female leave me a uh, complete circle of stones. The stones were in a circle about, uh, well, I don't know, 22, 24 inches in diameter. It was made all out of white circles, uh, made of uh, white stones in a circle. And so I had contacted my uh, my interpreters and I asked them, well, who, who made this and what does that mean? And they said it was uh, Marla. Her name was Marla. She left that. And so then Marla jumped into our conversation and I just asked, well, what does that mean? And she said, that is a uh, never ending circle of friendship. And that was her answer to me. That's very nice. So white stones. Yeah. White stones mean friendship. And uh, the other thing they, they leave me a whole ton of is uh, turkey feathers. Uh, feathers again are a sign of friendship. Uh, the the way that uh, you can tell the difference between uh, a turkey losing a random flight feather or whatever during the course of the year they use it, they lose them twice a year. <clears throat> the way that you can tell the difference is whether it's gifted to you or not is when you're walking along you'll see a feather. That one is probably just a random feather that was lost by a turkey. The way that you know it, it was gifted from them is you are walking along a path or like in my case, I'm mowing the grass. I'll be mowing grass and I usually do a pattern of a certain length, let's say uh, 50 feet. <clears throat> and then I'll turn and do the other direction and go back and forth and back and forth. And as I'm going back and forth, the turkey feather was not there. And then all of a sudden, boom, there it is. That's how you know it's a gift. You've built quite the... From them. You've built quite the relationship with the uh, forest people that are definitely close to you and in your area. Um, I was going to ask, do, do you get out and still hunt? Like, even though you're, you know that, you know... You, you're probably being watched and, and being accompanied along your hunts. Like, does that affect you at all in any well, way? No, actually it's, it's all, I've always been the same way all along. Um, cause originally after I had bought the property and I was uh, walking it over. So I kind of familiarized myself with the land. Uh, I ran into some of these gigantic teepee structures made from like, from other large trees leaned up against a large tree, you know, uh, by large, I'm talking about, uh, anywhere from 12 to 14 inch diameter pieces of, uh, either limbs or trees that are leaned up against another tree that are maybe 20, 25 feet long. And you know that that was not a random happening. The wind couldn't just blow 15 trees up against another tree, stack around, make it look like a teepee. Yeah. So when I first ran into that, uh, I, it would just kind of blow my mind and say, how the hell could that happen? And then there was other times when I'd have uh, a pretty good limb, let's say um, eight to 10 inches in diameter, maybe 15 feet long. It'd be way up in the tree about, let's say 20, 25 feet in the air. And it would be perfectly horizontal. 
And I'd look at that and say, how in the hell did that get up there? And there was little things like that that suggested that the forest people were there. And then, of course, I had my first two experiences, which kind of solidified everything I thought. Now, even after I had my PTSD, it never really bothered me to go back in the woods. I was not, uh, even though I had the PTSD, I was not afraid of them per se, because <clears throat> I, I felt that the land was their land. And I'm just a visitor, and I'm the guy that pays the taxes and takes care of it. I'm the temporary caretaker. And so I never, even from day one, I never was trying to seek them out or trying to find them or hunt them or trick them in any way. Uh, I really wasn't into um, gifting them at the time. I just knew that they were there and it was basically their property and I was just a visitor. And one time talking with Somi, uh, it was just before I did a seminar on uh, on the forest people uh, out in the state of Washington. <clears throat> I asked him uh, about that. And uh, he said, we have always appreciated the fact that you welcome us onto the property, the land of our ancestors. He said we had always appreciated that uh, because they, in general, are not real fond of hunters, per se. Yeah. <laughs> For obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, uh, like with these visuals that you get, uh, generally speaking, they only let you see them when. They want you to see them. Uh, I mean, once in a while, once in a great while, uh, it's an accident. Uh, like some of these uh, videos that we get, some of the uh, some of the better videos of the forest people, some of those are are by accident, but they let them happen. Uh, generally speaking, uh, for any forest person to do an open show, they have to get permission from the elders to do it. There has to be some sort of a reason. Uh, it could be that, like in my case, they wanted uh, to become my guardian. And so they had open shown to me um, a number of times over the years. <clears throat> but they don't do it very often. And it's not for very long periods of time. Uh, most of the time, it's like you have to do a double take and kind of say to yourself, did I just see that? <laughs> you know yeah i know that it, it usually is not for a very long period of time but it 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 does happen they they do they do let it happen uh the youngsters they like i say it seems like a rite of passage to them to open show um they also come to me at times in uh dreams uh, they'll come to me at times in a vision. Uh, I can, one time I was just sitting on the edge of the bed thinking of them and they uh, started sending me images of themselves. They were the most fabulous images I have ever seen in my life. Uh, like if I was to tell you to think about a picture of a water bottle and you'll instantly get a picture in your head what what a water bottle would be. 
the images they sent were, I would have to say, like high definition, three dimensional, exquisite lighting from every direction, as perfect as perfect a picture could be. Uh, the quality of the images it sent was was just stunning. I could see every pore, every hair follicle, every wrinkle in the skin uh, with each individual. And they sent me these uh, images of themselves. Uh, some, like I had said before, had rounded heads, uh, sort of like you and me. Others had more of a cone-shaped head uh, or a, what we would call an apple head. Some had wider noses, some had thinner noses, some had more of a pug nose, um, some had high cheekbones, some had smooth uh, features to the face, some were more chiseled, some had real deep set eyes, some were, uh, the brow ridge wasn't as prominent. Um, they all had certain features. Every person was a, a total individual, just as different as you and I. But the images were so stunning, I, I couldn't believe what, what, what I was looking at. And I don't know, I can't recall exactly how fast these images came. But each one, if I wanted to, if I wanted it to turn or do a complete circle or move back and forth, or, I could do that while they were sending me this image of themselves. And it was an absolutely incredible evening. And I was just sitting on the edge of the bed when they did that. Wow. Now, here's another, here's another interesting one for you. Because uh, people always ask about photographs. Why can't we get photographs? Why are they always blurry? Why didn't you? Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and so I, I asked Somi one time. I said, why is it your people don't do good photographs? And he said, well, my friend, he says, we don't like our photograph taken. And I says, okay, I can understand that, but why? And he said, the reason why we don't like our photograph taken is because when someone views our image, we feel what that person feels when they are looking at it. He said, sometimes they think of us as monsters. Sometimes they think of us as ugly. Sometimes they have bad feelings for us. And then what he did was he started sending me those emotions. He sent me the emotion of anger, of fear, of uh, hate. And then he sent me the, the, the emotion of love. I have a hard time talk, talking about it. <clears throat> the emotion of love was so intense that I could only imagine Jesus Christ or God himself sending that much love. It was so intense. The emotion <clears throat> was so heartfelt and <clears throat> so vibrant that it was just totally unbelievable. <clears throat> and he sent me those emotions 
as I was texting to my interpreters. <clears throat> and he said, how does that feel to you? <clears throat> and he says, that is what we get out of photographs. And that's why we don't like them. <clears throat> he says, it's all because of what the viewers have in their mind and what their feelings are. He says, oh. we do not like a lot of the feelings that people send us. And that's why we don't like photographs. Oh, okay. That, that, you know what? That makes total sense. Wow. And like I said, they have certain abilities that are way out of our norm. And each person almost has to experience them individually themselves to believe it because it's just so far out of our norm that <clears throat> it's just hard to believe that um, the force people can do these things. Uh, I sometimes refer to them as our, our furry angels <laughs> <laughs> because they, they have the abilities to do certain things. Like um, uh, the night after they had sent me those uh, images, I, I was in bed and I can't remember what my age was at the time. I was probably maybe 65, 67, something like that. <clears throat> and I was laying in bed and my shoulders were really bothering me. I have uh, arthritis in my shoulders. It's from years and years and years of uh, shooting arrows. I probably shot uh, maybe 20 million arrows or something like that. After that shoulder repair, <clears throat> a couple of years later, was when I had asked the force people, and this was after I had those images sent to me. I was sitting in bed, and I was thinking about the force people and thinking about that they had sent healers to, to help with, during my knee surgery. So I said, if you can, I says, can you send healers to fix my shoulders. I says, I am getting, my shoulders are getting so bad. I'm having a hard time sleeping at night because I'm in pain. And again, this was another, another experience with them about two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. I woke up and I couldn't move. I, I couldn't move anything except my eyes. And then I opened my eyes up and I'm kind of half awake and half asleep. And I've got my Mr. Heater going next to my bed to, to add the warmth and heat to the room. <clears throat> and again, it gives off kind of a nice little red glow. And you can, you can see, not real well, but you can see with the glow of the night. <clears throat> so as I'm looking around and I, I'm, I'm feeling kind of odd because I can't move anything except my eyes. I can't turn my head. I can't lift my arms. I can't do anything. So I'm looking and I look to the left and I see my arm is up in here and I can see a forest person is holding my hand up in here, my arm, but I can see right through them. And then I kind of turn my eyes a little bit more and there's another one that's kind of examining my armpit and shoulder. And then I guess my eyes must open quite wide <laughs> when I seen them. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and they looked at me and they knew I was aware that they were there. And so the one put my arm back down on the bed 
And then they, it was like fast as lightning. They were moving so quickly. It was hard for my eyes to follow. And they went from my left to my right. And they went right through the cabin wall. I don't know how they do it, but they went right through the cabin wall and disappeared. It wasn't maybe 30 seconds later, I could totally move again. And so I got up and I went to the bathroom, <clears throat> came back and uh, and just kind of fell back to sleep. And I didn't think too much about it. But for until last year, I no longer had pain in my shoulders. I could sleep perfectly fine through the through the night. I wouldn't have any trouble whatsoever. That's amazing. Uh, now that 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 didn't change the fact that I had arthritis. It was still there and it was still active and it was still getting worse, but I could sleep at night. Uh it didn't help me shoot the bow anymore, uh any better. Uh, it didn't help that way. The pain was still there. And um, back at that time, uh, even up to this day, if I shoot the bow, I I pay a, a heavy price for, for paying, but for shooting the bow and my uh, shoulders will ache for <clears throat> for hours and hours. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that pain too. I, I have <laughs> arthritis in, in, uh, in my elbow, so I, I have to watch what I'm doing. So I understand. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, Tim, if I can. Uh, you've developed quite the relationship with Somi. Um, have you developed? Like you two are very close, I would gather. But have you developed a relationship with any other of them on the same level, or Somi? You know, you know, the one. Well, that... I had. I had originally. I originally had another guardian earlier on, and they were there for a few years. But I never had the communication like with Somi. Uh, now, Somi just told me, I think it was last year sometime, that he was going to hand me off to uh, another guardian. Uh, he didn't say who it was or when it would happen. They just said, Did, did he say why? Uh, no. No, he didn't. But he, at the same time, he said, we will, we will be friends until you become spirit. That's that was his words. Oh. He says, we will always be friends until you become spirit. He said, when you become spirit, you'll understand everything much better. Oh, okay. But, but you haven't had any, any in relationship with any other, any, any of the other ones that like on the same level as, as Somi's? No. And that goes back to their, uh, hierarchy and their culture. Um, it's, it seems like you can only do certain things at certain times when you reach a certain position within the clan. Because they usually stay quiet. Um, I only get them to uh, talk mostly when I ask them their names or ask uh, why a certain individual did something. And then they will respond. But generally, they don't. They don't say. They're very quiet. They play their cards close, very close to their chest. Uh, when you ask them questions, they only tell you what you need to know at the time, and it's very short and to the point. Uh, for instance, um, I had asked them um, 
do do you celebrate birthdays? And they said no, because it was uh, my nephew's birthday is uh, a couple of days after mine. And we were up at the property at that time. And uh, we were asking them uh, if they had celebrated birthdays because we were celebrating our birthday. And, And he said, no. No, we don't sell, celebrate annual birthdays. He said, but however, he said, we we are very involved with the birth of a child. He said, the, the entire clan chooses the spirit that will enter that child. And then when, once the child is born, we have a great celebration. He said it's called a great welcoming, and uh, and so I said, well, can can my nephew and I get a great wel- welcoming? And he kind of chuckled and he says, well, I guess we we can give you a welcoming. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I asked him about uh, uh, about his age. I said, uh, I met you when when you were you must have been a teenager, and he said, yes. And I said, uh, well, how long do you, does your people live? And he said, well, we live a lot longer than you. And he kind of avoided the question. He just said, we live a lot longer than you. And there, sometimes when you ask them questions, they, uh, they, they won't answer or they'll kind of skirt around it and they won't, <laughs> they won't tell you what, what you're asking them. But Typically, when you do ask them a question, it's very short, to the point. And so while we were on that conversation, um, I said, uh, well, what happens with your, your dad? Uh, what, what happens when they die? And he said, it's a, it's a time of great sadness. And he said, uh, we bury our dead. And so I said, well... What what do you do to honor the dead? What do you have some sort of a ceremony or what 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 goes on with that? And he said uh, we have four days of silence to uh, show reverence to the dead. <clears throat> and I said, oh okay. And I says, uh, you bury your dead. Where you where do you bury them at? And he said, in a place where you'll never find them. <laughs> so. <laughs> It was kind of short and to the point he, he just, he wouldn't say, but he just said, well, we bury them where you'll never find them. Yeah. And that's always a question I've always wondered about is, is where, you know, where their dead go. And I always assumed, you know, they would follow or, you know, they'd be similar to the human celebration, I, I guess, and, you know, perform a funeral type service, I would imagine. But, you know, that, that just kind of, kind of confirms it really is, is that, you know, they, I'm, I do think that, in you know, from what you've told us, is that they do, in fact, bury their dead. Yes, and they they are very spiritual people. Um, I had asked them a number of questions uh, about spirituality and that sort of thing, <clears throat> and uh, one of the questions that I had asked them was, uh, "Are are you, are you do you consider yourself human?" And they said yes. And they said, uh, really? made by the same great creator that, yeah, they said, made by the same great creator that made you. <clears throat> and I says, well, uh, is there is there more to do, to it than that? And he said, yes. He says we are half human and half star people. 
Now, what he meant by star people, I have no idea what that is. Oh, boy. But he said we are half human and half star people. Wow. That's amazing. Like that That's absolutely fascinating. That That's, uh, yeah, that, that's opening another door for, <laughs> we have to, might have to have you back on another show to, to talk about that one too. But wow. Holy smokes. Uh, that's uh, why I like questions because they always lead to other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you now I, I'm going to just make an assumption here, but I always ask my guests, you know, do you consider yourself fortunate or unfortunate, you know, that you've had these experiences and these encounters? And I'm going to assume that you, you consider yourself quite fortunate that, that you have the relationship with, with, with Somi and his clan that you do. Um, how has it really changed your life though? Has, has any, has it opened doors? Has it, you know, have you become more open-minded? Did it physically change you? Did it mentally change you? How was, how has the change happened over the course of the, the many years that you've, you've had the relationship with, with them? Well, I'd had, I'd have to say, how can it not change you? I mean, it's, it's something that few experience and it's, uh, it's, it's partly spiritual because the forest people are like in two worlds at one time. It's like they, they are always in the spiritual world and then they can be in our physical world at the same time. And that definitely affects you, especially if you ask enough questions about their culture. Uh, It's like, I believe that, the uh, Native American people were actually taught how to live here by the forest people. Uh, They had told me, the forest people had told me that they were here millions of years before humans arrived on the planet. They were here much longer. Uh, He continued with that story and said, uh, again, the, the great spirit or the great creator is the same same that created you and I. And he said that uh, back long ago, when Adam and Eve were here, he said that we never fell from, from grace like you did. Uh, we know about the Christ, but we don't need a savior. He said, because we never fell from grace as you did. Wow. Well, so, so I so found that to be uh, quite interesting. Yeah, and then it seems to me that they're quite aware of humanity and, and you know, the goings-on of what people are doing, right? Like, in, in terms of, you know, religion and, you know, how, how basically people are treating the planet. Um, do they, is that another reason why they avoid us, is because they see how how uh, destructive humanity can be? Well, uh, I'm not sure about that, but... Uh, Could you ask them? <laughs> they, they, uh, they, again, it goes back to they were here before we were, and this is why we call them, and the Native Americans call them Big Brother, because they were here long before we were. Uh, they have no need for our machines and so forth. They have reverence for the land and so forth. And they want us to try to get back kind of like to those 
origins uh, back to the original because they don't need the machines and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Although they can, they can operate machines if, if given the opportunity. They know how to tie knots. They know how to make fire. Uh, they know how to uh, uh, work the door locks on your your vehicle. They can uh, drain the battery on your camera or your cell phone. Uh, they can manipulate energy. They they uh, they can create the different types of orbs and so forth. Um, they're they're they seem to know every. They they know about like uh, all the planets. They know the motions of the planets. Uh, they they know of uh, numerology and astrology. They know all of the old arts, but they don't seem to get into them. Um, they use herbs and uh, natural foods and spices for healing. Uh, it was like this uh, this last year, they were asking about the COVID thing and they were concerned about it. And um, we had told them what we had learned that uh, you need magnesium, you need zinc, uh, you need, uh, vitamin Z and vitamin D to, uh, to basically stay away from the COVID. And once they, uh, I guess they worked with their medicine people, how to, uh, work around the, the COVID. <clears throat> it's like, um, there's natural remedies for the, uh, COVID. You don't, you don't need the, uh, the, uh, vaccination. The vaccination may may turn out to be uh, worse than the uh, cure, so to speak. But uh, right now, you can use either ivermectin or you can use the uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine with uh, zinc and vitamin D, and you will not get the COVID at all. In fact, you will be basically immune to... uh, normal influenzas and uh you probably won't get pneumonia either so those over-the-counter medications that we have plus your your zinc and your uh vitamin d will will keep you away from from getting that sort of thing i'm gonna write that down Well, Tim, th- this yeah, has been I great. Agree. This has been really a lot of fun for me. I might have to get you back on because you've had several more encounters besides what we've talked about today. And I, I really do find your encounters extremely well, fascinating. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of stuff I can talk about. Yeah, yeah. And, I and, could go on forever. And I could go on forever listening to you. <laughs> but we, we were already pushing I was, on, uh, I was on the Pork and Bean Show twice uh, and we went three and a half hours before they <laughs> called the called oh. stop to the program. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? I wanted to ask you really quick before we, before we let you go. Can you tell me about your experience on, uh, finding Bigfoot? Oh, on the TV program. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, uh, season three, episode six, the, um, uh, Michigan and the Wolverine state, I believe is the name of it. I had, um, uh, Bobo, Renee, uh, and the whole gang there, uh, at the time. And, oh, I should mention this, by the way, the force people were not too happy about that. (laughs) 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 They they did not like 
uh, Matt and the gang there, they, they thought I was angry with them or something. And they, they questioned me why, why I had them there. Well, they, and they weren't happy with them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually what I was going to get into as well Is like, how did, how was, what was their reaction to, to having, you know, camera crews and a bunch of people walking through their area? You know, what, 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 what was their reaction to that? Was it, were they angry? Were they, were they worried? Were they sad? What, 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 what well, was, like I said, they, they were not real happy with me because of it. Uh, of course they have their, their own abilities, their nature is to stay in the, in the dark and the shadowed areas. So you're not going to find them. I mean, they will find you, but you are not going to find them. If you're, you're looking for them, you may hear tree knocks or maybe a shrubbery or branches shaken, or you may have some acorns or stones thrown in your direction but it's only to let you know that they know that you're you're there and and they they can can read our minds and they can read our hearts so they know exactly what you're doing and what you're up to and, and so it wasn't so. Uh, it wasn't very uh it wasn't a very productive trip for for the the finding bigfoot crew i would imagine no yeah no, I mean, I, I showed them and I went through my uh, second experience. Uh, that was the first time that I had met Somi, and that was what the uh, program was about. So that was uh, season three, episode six, and I think it was called Michigan Michigan State and Wolverine and Sasquatch or something like that. I forget what it was. Yeah, I'm going to check it out tonight. After and that was when I started. Uh, actually, I did uh, most of the drawings I did. Uh, for the program and uh they refused to use them they asked me to do the drawings and then they didn't use them (laughs) that's weird (laughs) well tim this has been a real 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 pleasure i'm so grateful that you know you you you, uh accepted my invitation to come on the program and and talk about all of this stuff because i find this stuff amazing like this is absolutely fascinating to me that to have a relationship with with, you know a, a clan you know, and they basically have taken you in, and I, I don't know if you understand what that means, but you know, you're their, now their family, so you know you, you have a very you're, yeah, it's a very honorable thing to have happened. So, and you're you're very, you know, you're it's extremely rare. So, I just, you're a very lucky individual. Yeah, they told me I I was family or a clan member about three years after it happened. Uh, for some reason, they they never bothered to tell me, <laughs> <laughs> but. At the same time, I, I consider them family, and they said that my family, whoever is in my family, is part of their family. So everyone in my family who's been to the property is accepted as a member of their family. Wow, that and, is so cool. And it really, it really is a, it really is a, a basically an honor to be accepted into their their uh, clan. Yes, I would say so. That, that that's and, and you know what, Tim, I'm going to have to call you again in a couple of weeks. We might have to get you back on here and we start sharing a little bit more information because I I loved your 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 encounters and I love the relationship that you have with them because I'm and, and to be honest, I'm a little jealous because I've had my own sighting, but it was very very brief and it didn't really uh, there was no connection mentally or tele or telepathically, I should say. And it, it <laughs> It sounds very petty, but I got a little jealous when I heard that. It's like, ah, I kind of want to hear that too, but 
Well, try reaching out to them like I did. Hold out that olive branch to them. Tell them what's on your mind and what's in your heart and how you would prefer to have a, some sort of a working relationship with you. And chances are, if you have that open mind and heart, uh, they'll accept that challenge. They may watch you for a while. And if you if you are accepted, if they accept that relationship, they, they will extend that olive branch to you and things will change very, very rapidly, I would suspect, like it did me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try that. I'm actually going to try that and, and yeah, and see what happens. And, and, but you know, I meant what I said before, we might have to get you back on in a couple of weeks and we'll, we'll continue our conversation from there. Sure thing. I, I enjoy it. I, I like talking about it. Me too. I love it. I absolutely. It, love uh, it. I think it's very useful to talk about it and share, share your experiences with people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Tim, I want to say thank you again for coming on. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I, I know, you know, you, you've, it's quite late where you're at, but uh, I want to say thank you again. It's been a real pleasure for me to have you on. I, I, and I, I sincerely mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Oh, you're more than welcome. Happy to do it again anytime. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> yeah, right. please, please do. I will, I will. For the listeners, if you guys just want to hang around, uh, we're going to close out the show, so stay there. And we're back, everyone. We are back in time to pull the pin on this episode. I'm glad you guys are here with me. Now, I, I got to give another huge thank you to Timothy for coming on. That was fascinating, isn't the word? That, that was amazing. That was. Uh, I'm a little bit blown away by that because I, I don't know, you know, how to how to soak that one. And that was full of information I, I really wasn't expecting to have. So, thank you so much, Timothy. That that was great. Holy smokes, I, I'm I'm blown away why don't you guys tell me what you guys think? I'm going to post this on Facebook when I do. Let me know down in the comments what you guys thought about Timothy's encounters. It was amazing. You know, he sent me uh, uh, pictures of the artwork he's done of of the the Sasquatch that he's been in contact with. Well, with quite a few actually. And uh, wow, you're a, he's a very skilled artist to say the least. So uh, maybe one day he'll release his drawings or sketches, but they're very, uh, they're very well done. Um, but thank you again, Timothy. That was great. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. And then, uh, I probably could have talked to you for a little while longer, but I'd noticed that we were going quite long. So I'm going to make the outro uh, quite short. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get this one done real, real quick here. So, uh, but you know what? Let's see what's coming up next. Hold on. We'll push this button. We'll find out what that is. On the next episode of this Sasquatch show brought to you by Nicola Valley Bigfoot. It had that, that cone type head that they talk about it was standing there and it was looking in our direction and then i just i was like oh my god mom look look what is that you know and so she turns and she's looking and i'm trying to show her where this thing is standing so definitely try to tune in for that one that was another fun one to do i'm having a such a good time doing these interviews with everybody that uh you know, sometimes I forget that I'm actually supposed to be talking to people because I get lost in the interviews. You know, just I get lost in the people's stories is what I should have said. But, you know, it, it just I'm having fun doing it. So so keep your encounters coming, um, you know, which leads me to this. If you've had an encounter and you want to be on the show, you can contact me at Nicola Valley Bigfoot at gmail.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-A 
nicolavalleybigfoot at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, I've got the next couple of weeks kind of booked up, but I still want to hear from you guys, and uh, I'd like to get you on the show. Let's, uh, let's talk some more Bigfoot. Uh, so until the next one, guys, I will talk to you later. Bye.